2: Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Roberto Mazza, the host of the Jerusalem Unplugged Podcast, and today for the New Books series on Middle Eastern Studies, my guest is uh, Tilde Rosmer. Tilde recently published a very important book, published by the University of Texas Press here in 2022, The Islamic Movement in Israel. Let me say a couple of things before we actually start the interview. First of all, to all the listeners, the Islamic movement in Israel is not Hamas, and we will talk about it. Secondly, this book is very timely. Israel will head to the fifth election since 2019, just in a few months. And I think it will be important, towards the end of the interview, to talk about also what potentially may be the role of the Islamic uh, movement in Israel in relation to the upcoming elections. But first of all, Tilde, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Robert.
2: Now, to start with, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how this book came to be?
1: Yes, thank you very much. So... um my background is I have a MPhil and a PhD from the University of Oslo. Uh, I focused on history of religion and Middle Eastern studies and in my MPhil I looked at uh, Mizrahi or Jew, Jews or Jews from the Middle East and North Africa and the religious socio-political movement Shas. And in my PhD, I moved on to look at ex- secular expressions of Misrahi identity in Hakeshita Demokratit Hamisrahit, or the Democratic Rainbow Movement uh, in Israel, as well as Hila, the Committee for Equality in Education, that represents uh, all minority groups uh, in Israel. So my previous studies was looking at groups that are uh, similar to the Islamic movement, Uh, in Israel doesn't really make it to the headlines uh, in international media and often is also ignored in many academic research on Israel-Palestine. So while I was doing this uh, ethnographic research for my PhD uh, between 2004 and 2006 uh, in Israel, and I also looked at how these groups that represented so-called Arab Jews or Mizrahi Jews, how they related to Palestinian citizens of Israel. Uh, so while doing that, uh, I, was, I dis- basically discovered uh, the Islamic movement almost by chance. And this is a bit odd, considering that I had lived in the area for a long time and I'd studied Palestinian citizens for a long time. Even so, the Islamic movement was not particularly on my radar. So I was invited by some friends to join them uh, at an event in Umm Al Fahm, Uh, that that was in celebration of uh, the Sheikh Raid Salah who is the or was the leader of the northern branch of the Islamic movement he was released from prison and there was a big celebration welcoming him back to his hometown Uh, so I was on the female side of this large event and I was very impressed by the thousands of supporters that had uh, gathered there to welcome him and I was also a bit surprised and impressed um by the variety of the officials on the stage that came to serve, came to welcome him basically it they, we had all the national Arab political parties represented, as well as prominent Christian leaders and leaders of other, other community leaders um, for the Palestinian community in Israel. So when after having finished my PhD, I was very lucky to be invited to join uh, consecutively two research projects at the University of Oslo's uh, Department for Culture Studies and Oriental Languages that looked at Islamist movements uh, in the region and then i chose to focus on the islamic movement in israel
2: perhaps in another uh, uh, format one day i'd love to talk about uh, your research on the shasvi mizra'i parties but today we focus on the islamic movement and, and you already mentioned something very important about your research and i really want to ask you uh, about sort of a methodological approach of your work your study is mostly based on interviews And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your methodology and how you shaped your questions, which uh, for the reader, I must say that there's a sample uh, at the end of the book.
1: Yes, thank you. Uh, Yes, so I continued, uh, as I had done in my previous uh, research, doing ethnographic research. So um, basically, as you said, a mixture of observations uh, and interviews. Uh, And obviously I was already very familiar with the social, political and physical context uh, that I was doing these interviews in. And I also had many contacts uh, from my previous research. For example, many of the parent activists from the organization Hila that I had was already in touch with for another research. It transpired that they were supporters or activists in the Islamic movement. Now my uh, Hebrew is stronger than my Arabic so all of my interviews in English and Hebrew were conducted by me, but the interviews that were conducted in Arabic, which are most of the interviews with Islamic movement leaders uh, and activists, were conducted with the help of uh, excellent research assistants who all uh, were Palestinian citizens of Israel. Uh, and in terms of getting access to my sources, uh, I started uh, purposefully by uh, interviewing the leaders, shash, such as uh, Shah Rad Salah, Sheikh Ibrahim Sarsour, so that they would sort of uh, vet me in a way. And then by via them, I got access to activists and supporters. So I kind of started at the top of the hierarchy and made my way sort of down uh, through to the grassroots. Uh, and. As you mentioned, how to kind of interview people is important, what questions you ask and what environment you create in an interview. And it was very important for me that my interviewees felt safe and felt that it was, uh, it was okay to speak to me. So obviously then having uh, the sort of um, be, be, the being vetted, so to speak, by the leaders helped, which means to prove that I am the academic that I am, that I was going to use the sources in an academic way, not in any sort of populist way. Uh, journalistic way, or also that I indeed am an academic, uh, that I'm not an uh, undercover governmental agent that quite a few were suspicious of. Uh, I also think it helped that my research assistants were Palestinian citizens themselves, so they could also kind of help explain uh, more about my research. Uh, the questions I asked were oh, very, It's I like to do sort of open... I Organized but open-ended interviews. So basically, I would ask almost all of my interviews about how did they become active in the Islamic movement, what their roles were in the Islamic movement. Uh, depending on what their roles are, a bit more details. So you know, go following that kind of thread, uh, I would ask them about recent events, about historical events, um, and I would. I find that. When people find that they have an, 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 you know, an interested listener who don't just have, you know, very short time, but is willing to sit and listen for an hour, an hour and a half, or two hours to their story, uh, which becomes an intertwined story of their personal life and their academic, uh, sorry, their political and uh, cultural activism, as well as their religious activism, uh, they, they, you know, they seem quite keen to talk. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed doing all my interviews.
2: Great. Fascinating. I, I guess from a scholarly perspective, it's always great when you have interviewees that are eager to talk and you don't have to fish for things and they, they're open about what they want to talk about. I want to start talking about the book itself. And, uh, there is one, I, I guess the big elephant in the room, which is about, uh, the Islamic movement in Israel and a sort of a definition. So can you give us a, a definition of the Islamic movement in Israel and when and how this was formed?
1: Sure, I'll try to, I'll try to do that. I mean, this Islamic movement started as a religious revivalist movement inspired by religious political, the religious political ideology of the uh, kind of the Islamic uh, movement in Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, And it happened via the Islamic educational institutions in the occupied West Bank. And so it started with a focus on dawah, on spreading of an Islamic lifestyle among individuals uh, and the community at large. And then it also very soon took on the role of representing Palestinian citizens, uh, both sort of socially and politically, and providing them also with necessary services that are neglected by the state. So, I describe the movement's leaders and activists as Islamist Palestinian nationalists. And this is also clear from the efforts of the movement to educate Palestinians uh, in their own history and predicament, something that they have not been taught in Israeli-controlled and Zionist-created state uh, education institutions. So the movement itself, it started uh, from 1967 with the sense, so you have the Israeli occupation of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, and uh, very vividly uh, in one of my interviews, Sheikh Ibrahim Sarsour, who was the leader of the southern branch uh, at that time, he described that uh, this occupation, of course, was a disaster from a military point of view, yet it also brought unforeseen positive consequences for Palestinian citizens of Israel. And in order to appreciate what and why the, what these consequences uh, were and, and why they were positive, we have to you know, go backwards in history a little bit and be reminded that Palestinian citizens are descendants of the approximately 150,000 uh, Palestinians who remained inside what became the State of Israel in 1948 uh, when around or more than 800,000 Palestinians became refugees. And then from 1948 until 1966, these Palestinian citizens, uh, who were not indeed all citizens, mostly most of them were by that time, lived isolated from their families who had become refugees in the surrounding countries and also isolated from their Arab people and culture. Uh, and, and they lived under military rule. And the military rule in practice meant that there was, for example, a strict curfew. They were not allowed to organize themselves politically, and they faced restrictions on employment, among other repressive rules. So then after 1967, going back to Sheikh Sarsour's um comment uh, with the occupation actually the Palestinians from inside Israel were reunited with the Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip both with their direct or you know more distant family and generally with their national group and what that provided meant that they could then go to the West Bank as well as to the Gaza Strip but mostly they went to the West Bank and they would attend Arab and Muslim educational institutions. There, and this is important because of that isolation they had experienced in 1948, meant that there was no Muslim religious educational institutions inside Israel that could educate new religious leaders. So anyone who wanted, who was then keen to study religious studies, they went to, for example, to Hebron and Nablus to study there from 1967. And it is these men and some women who, when they came home from these institutions, gave sermons and started preaching and started the religious revival in Palestinian villages and towns throughout Israel. So we can say that the seeds of the movements are from the early 1970s, uh, whereas there is a bit of controversy around exactly when the movement itself was established Uh, I say in the book uh, that I've chosen 1983, it's not an arbitrary choice. Uh, It's because that's when Sheikh Abdallah Nimr Darwish, who is the recognized founder of the movement, was released from Israeli prison. Now, I'll explain why he was in prison. He was... um, in prison because he was believed by the Israelis to be the spiritual head of the paramilitary organization called Israt al-Jihad the family of Jihad Uh, however he denies uh, and denied this role Uh, this small group the family of Jihad was an Islamist group that acquired weapons um, and focused on Israeli economic targets in agricultural areas, as well as some cultural institutions uh, in in the Palestinian community. Uh, For example, in 1981, some members of this group set fire to the cinema in because they did not like the type of films that they were screening. Uh, and this group was exposed by the Israeli security services, also in 1981, and 60 activists were sentenced to prison. So uh, Darwish then only spent about over two years in prison. Uh, then he was released. And this, after he comes out of prison, kind of marks the beginning of the institutionalization of the movement as we know it today, with a specific focus on social, cultural, and religious activities, uh, with a clear avoidance of all public calls to establish an Islamic state, uh, and basically the sort of start of this massive grassroots movement that also soon became involved in Israeli politics.
2: You just mentioned the question of Islamism, and I really wanted to ask you, uh, Something about the, the term itself. Uh, given this is like a, a very large term, and many may have different interpretation. I was wondering if you can tell us how you see Islamism, but more importantly, how do you think uh, the movement uh, understands and use the word Islamism?
1: Okay. Yes. Thank you. Uh, well, I think so. From my perspective, Islamism has many different expressions and they depend mostly on the context. So my analysis of this particular Islamist movement is very much a contextualised analysis. And I think, I believe that a context explains why a particular Islamist movement has developed in the way that it has and how it became what it is. So this movement's leaders operate between two main points of reference, the Israeli state and society, and the Islamist ideology that informs its beliefs and methodology. So, uh, as other Islamist groups, uh, this movement is inspired by and aims also to sort of infuse the state and society with Islam that is interpreted to fit modern circumstances. Uh, And in my analysis, uh, I rely on Ayubi's explanation that Islamists want a cultural revolution uh, that is inspired by religious sources. And that this, uh, in part, is a reaction to uh, westernization uh, and corruption of their Muslim rulers and politics. Now, of course, in the case of the Palestinian Islamists in Israel, the rulers are not Muslim, but are uh, the government of the Jewish state of Israel. Uh, so that's this state uh, that represents the political domination and westernization that they are re- you know, revolting against, you could say. Uh, so in the case of the Islamic movement in Israel, Islamism is not only an ideology and methodology for cultural advancement and renewal, but, uh, and, and that would be sort of, as I explained earlier, related to Dawah, but also a variant of a Palestinian political nationalism. So the Islamic movement in Israel is fighting for the rights uh, as a Palestinian national minority group using an Islamist approach and methodology. Uh, and this is very evident, for example, in their trifecta of goals, which uh, you know, they don't say out loud, at least, that our, our goal is to have an Islamic say- state. They say our goal is to protect the Palestinian people, land and holy sites. Uh, and then they're protecting it from what they see as the sort of foreign uh, and, and dominating Jewish state. Uh, I did ask uh, in an interview. I did. I did mention this goal about the sort of Islamic state to uh, Shah Ibrahim Sarsour, and he said, uh, quite sort of uh, almost a bit jokingly, that you know he said, "Listen, I live in Israel. I know my context. There's no point talking about an Islamic state here. We are the minority." Uh, so even if we convince all Muslims in Israel that they might want an Islamic state, we're still a minority. If I wake up tomorrow uh, and see that, you know, all the Jews converted to Islam, then we can start preaching that ideology. But at the moment, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so, yeah, basically, I would argue that uh, all Islamist groups and movements uh, are different uh, and you have to study each case uh, in this context in order to understand how it has been influenced uh, and by and are accommodating to this context i mean this seems very obvious to us maybe as as academics of middle eastern studies but uh, i do believe that uh, generally and too often islamist movements are seen as a general expression of an ideology or practice cutting across sort of place and time. And there's very little appreciation of nuances and and local reasons for their individual developments. Uh, And as I said, in this case, the context of the Israeli state and society obviously has had natural, uh, naturally has had tremendous impact on the development of this movement, both in terms of providing Uh, opportunities, as well as imposing limitations. So my analysis aims to explain how the leaders and activists of this particular movement take advantage of these possibilities and navigate the limitations provided by this particular context, as well as how they then use or instrumentalize the Islamist theory and practice while pursuing their goals.
2: And that takes me to the next question, which I think is central in your book, and particularly for those that are not necessarily familiar uh, with the movement, that is, what is the difference between the Islamist movement in Israel and Hamas, given that often when, you know, we just watch the news or we hear news from Israel and Palestine, obviously, if we think about an Islamist movement, we immediately think about Hamas and not the movement in Israel.
1: Yes, great question and very important. I agree with you. People often confuse and don't. I mean, most people have never heard of the, the Islamic movement in Israel or even Palestinian citizens of Israel. So, um, so many points here. First of all, they were the both movements are established in the same decade, uh, and they operate, of course, very in very close uh, geographic proximity. Uh, In comparative terms, we could say that they share, of course, the Islamist ideology, as well as a Palestinian nationalist perspective. But, of course, and this is where we get into the sort of details of the context, they're not the same movement as you pointed out, nor do they represent the same part of the Palestinian population. So, of course, Hamas operates under Israeli military occupation and has adopted armed struggle in its resistance to this occupation, whereas the Islamic movement in Israel operates as a legal organization representing the interests of a group of citizens of the state of Israel. It purposefully avoids violence and it operates, as I said, within the sort of legal and uh, organizational framework of this state. Um, I also think it is significant to mention, when we speak about Hamas, that Israeli spokesperson often conflate or connect, depending on the circumstances, these uh, two movements. Uh, And as we might know, the Israeli government has has been successful in persuading many other countries uh, that to categorize Hamas as a prescribed terrorist organization. So then, of course, by suggesting that the Islamic movement in Israel has ties with or is connected to Hamas, you know, makes it, uh, by implication, a terrorist uh, organization. Uh, And it has uh, often used this uh, assumed or presumed connection uh, to legitimize action against the Islamic movement in Israel, such as police raids on offices of both the branches of the movement, confiscation of their properties, scrutinization uh, of their organization, censorship, uh, and also forced closure of their newspapers and publications. And of course, and most significantly, the uh, actual uh, outlawing of the northern branch of the movement in 2015, which was um, partially argued by Benjamin Netanyahu, who was then prime minister, uh, with the connection, with the assumed connection to Hamas. So if we look for actual relations between Hamas and the Islamic movements, there are I have not found any proof of any organisational links. And leaders on both sides say there are no such organisational links. Now, of course, the Islamic movement in Israel would avoid any such links because if there were any, they would I mean end up, as the Northern branch did anyway, outlawed. Uh, but of course, there is the Islamist and nationalist connections that I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, and they also... Practically express as well as uh, verbally express support uh, for, so the Islamic movement and Israel leaders would express support for both Hamas and the population of Gaza as well as of the West Bank. Uh, and they openly give support to people who might be or by necessity of living in Gaza are connected somehow to Hamas. Uh, They get support from a charitable organization run by the Islamic movement in Israel. Uh, For example, they have an organization whereby they support 20,000 orphans or children with single parents uh, from their uh, Islamic Movement Committee for Rescue and Humanitarian Aid that monthly receives support from thousands of Palestinian citizens Uh, who feel that the Islamic movement uh, is an organization, an uncorrupt organization that provides uh, the care and help for these people that they need. Um, And in addition, um, uh, representatives of the Islamic movement often speak about the plight and the rights of the Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territory, in Israeli and other media. And they also provide... What we could call direct political support by using their political position in Israel to pressure the Israelis uh, authorities uh, when they can. Uh, for example, when the when Israel, uh, after pressure from the Islamic movement, allowed the return to the occupied territories of for over four hundred Hamas and Islamic Jihad members. Um, that had been deported to Lebanon in 1992. And this was in response to what we call a sit-in-tent protest by uh, Islamic movement uh, members. So uh, definitely there are connections, uh, and uh, but if there are more than what we can see or what they can conceal, that we cannot know.
2: That's very interesting, and I'm sure that uh, some may challenge your views, uh, obviously, particularly those that are involved in Israeli politics or in a specific uh, uh, political uh, spectrum, and they may want to see uh, a particular connection between Hamas and the the Islamic movement in Israel. But again, we'll let it for another uh, discussion. I'm curious about... uh, the, the activity of the, uh, of the movement. We will talk later about the big split, so the so-called Northern Branch and Southern Branch. But uh, in order to get to that point, I really want to uh, engage with you in a discussion about uh, the political involvement uh, in Israeli politics, both at local and national level. How did the movement uh, uh, begin uh, you know, working uh, into local and national politics?
1: Yes, uh, very important points. So, I mean, first of all, it's important to mention that local politics, historically, since the end of the military government in 1966, has been the most important political stage for all Palestinian citizens of Israel. Uh, uh, because this is the level where they can have direct influence uh, on their everyday lives, as well as elect their own kind of community representatives and leaders. So through their influence on local councils, they can work to improve the services for their constituencies such as water supply and sewage systems, garbage services, roads, public parks uh, and gardens and and social services. Now the Islamic movement entered local politics in 1989 in Kufarkara uh, as I describe in detail in chapter one uh, that focuses on the political and life story of Kamil Rayan who then became the first elected head of a local council, and Sheikh Ibrahim Sarsour, in my interview, described this as a peaceful Islamic revolution in Israel. Since then, the movement has run on various municipalities and seen members gain power in several local authorities, Um, and I mean, we have to sort of preempt a little bit the the now the discussion about the the national um, level and the split of the movement because the two movements, of course, have representatives in different local councils, and so the northern branch has mostly focused its local uh, political engagement in on Um al fahm uh, and Shahra Salah was uh, its uh, first. Um, head of Um al-Faham, representing the Islamic movement. And then he um, abdicated, you could say, this position and another representative of the Islamic movement uh, took over the uh, mayoral ship of Um al fahm And interestingly, this uh, branch stopped taking part in local elections in 2013. And when I asked why they did this, when I was interviewing sort of uh, a few of the leaders uh, in Um Umm al-Fahm, in the offices of the Islamic movement, they said that they'd had enough of what they called dirty politics, and that they wanted to focus on the uh, Islamic movement's sort of original uh, focus, which is dawah and taking care of people and, and the religious aspects, and they did not any longer want to be involved in uh, elective politics when uh interest also interesting is that after this decision the candidate that they had for uh for mayor he decided he continued he still wanted to be um to be mayor uh, even though the islamic movement his his political uh, group uh, no longer participated in elections so he ran as an as an independent uh, and indeed won the elections uh, and became the mayor in 2013. So since, and between 2013 and until 2015, when this branch of the movement, the Northern branch was outlawed, uh, it was not officially uh, taking any part in any elections inside uh, Israeli uh, inside the Israeli state uh, system. Um, so, uh, I think what is important to notice here is that by taking part, because there is often a lot of criticism specifically of the northern branch, that it is not democratic and it does not participate in the Israeli democracy of Israel because it has chosen not to participate in national elections, uh, which I can explain more about uh, later. But uh, what is important to notice is that until 2013, uh, both branches of the Islamic movement in Israel did participate in the local election system. And that means interacting with all of the Israeli um, uh, uh, bureaucratic institutions that you need to and by, by default have to engage with in order to run a local
0: council.
2: So we talked about the northern branch, the southern branch, and I think it's about time to explain to the listeners and the readers of the book, uh, why did we have, why do we have actually uh, two branches of the same movement? So in 1996, the movement split in two. Why did the movement separate? And what are the differences other than also the involvement in local and national politics?
1: Very good. Yes, indeed. Very important. So the movement split, as you said, in 1996 after a Shura council where they voted on whether or not to participate in national elections for the Israeli parliament, the Knesset. And the so-called Northern branch uh, voted no, and the so-called Southern branch voted yes. So these branches kind of, you know, became branches after this vote. Uh, I want to just mention that uh, the the southern and northern here does not represent kind of everyone in the south they are part of the islamic movement southern branch or in the north of the northern it is refers to where in uh, israel the cities of or the towns of al uh, um that that is where Sheikh, uh Raid Salah is from is in the north of kufr Qasim, where Sheikh Abdallah Nimr Darwish, who is became the leader of the southern branch, is from. So, uh, so that the terminology is, is a bit misleading. Anyway, the northern branch then found it inappropriate to enter national politics, arguing two things, mainly that it was not permissible to enter a non-Muslim political system and politically that it... Uh, was not uh, permissible to enter into a participation in in politics, which would mean that you would recognize the Zionist character of the state. The Southern branch then led by Nimi Abdallah Nimi Darwish argued that there is room for political compromise with non-Muslim actors when this constitutes the local political context. And when this is the best way uh, in which to promote and protect the rights and interests of native Palestinians. So since 1996, the Southern branch has participated in national elections and has had representatives in the Israeli parliament on a parliamentary list uh, called the United Arab List, which sometimes they have shared with other political parties represented, representing Palestinian citizens. Uh, and as an indication of the popularity of this list, it was the largest list representing this constituency from 2009 until 2015. So, Basically, as for the differences between the branches in, as you say, beyond sort of the actual, you know, participating or not uh, in the Israeli parliament. Now, if most many academics and generally in the media, we see that since the split in 1996, they like to describe the northern branch as radical and the southern branch as moderate. Uh, And I argue in my book that I find this terminology uh, both sort of incorrect and not very useful. First of all, there is no agreed upon definition of the meaning of these terms. So it leads them to sort of assumed meanings uh, and it doesn't really improve the clarity Of understanding, you know, of our understanding of the branches in discussion, and of course, usually when it comes to Islamist groups in general, uh, the this sort of the use and the correctness of these terms, moderate and radical, is determined by the threat that an Islamist group is uh, supposed to pose. So um, if applying this understanding, then like sort of what kind of a threat is the Islamist branch, the two branches opposed, supposed to oppose to the Israeli state or not? Uh, so I argue uh, that both branches, uh, in fact, have been demonstrably pragmatic in their relationship with the Jewish state, if we consider where they are coming from. So both have made compromises on the ideological and the methodological um, levels in order to exist as expressions of an Islamist movement while operating within uh, the Jewish Zionist state and society. Uh, So I believe that the differences between them are better described by describing the Southern branch as integrationist in its relationship with the state Whereas the Northern branch can be described as isolationist vis-a-vis the state. And definitely, as I mentioned, increasingly so since 2013, when it stopped partaking in local elections. Uh, And then of course, uh, the Northern branch was outlawed in 2015, Before then as well, the northern branch was always under more pressure from the state and the government. Its leader, the Raid Zala, has been convicted in Israeli courts on several occasions for different things, such as the alleged connection with Hamas that I mentioned earlier, for inciting violence, uh, and in one occasion for spitting at an officer. These are all charges that he denies. Um, and there is also a difference in the, the rhetorical style of the leaders of the branches. So the northern branches uh, leader, uh, not just Ra'at but also his so-called deputy, Sheikh Kamal Khatib, uh, they, for example, never speak Hebrew in public. And they don't say Israel, but they say uh, 48 as a sort of, you know, a strong uh, rejection of the Zionist uh, existence of of. Uh, the Zionist control over the land. Um, whereas Sheikh uh, Abdallah Nimr Darwish and also later leaders of the southern branch, they speak in Hebrew, they uh, let, are interviewed in Israeli press and media, and they attend also interreligious meetings. So definitely showing a much more integrationist attitude, not towards just the Israeli state, but also the Israeli society. Now, if we then think about Practically, how these movements operate in terms of their support for the Palestinians in the occupied territory that I, I mentioned earlier when we talked about Hamas uh, and their grassroots organizations, which uh, mainly focus on Palestinian citizens of Israel. They provide the same services for their constituency. Uh, and so I believe that the practical differences in terms of daily movement uh, activities are not very large. Uh, And in fact, what happened since uh, 1996 and the split is what I call the creation of so-called mirrored organizations. So you see that uh, both branches provide the same services uh, in different organizations that sort of work kind of in parallel throughout the country. So for example, um, there has been since uh, lately two Al-Aqsa is in danger festivals. These are festivals that uh, are held to kind of to highlight what they see as the dangers post towards the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, and compound uh, in Jerusalem. Um, and there's been one by each branch kind of in competition, obviously, over supporters and uh, participants. Similarly, until 2000, um, uh, until to, in, until 2008, they were two student associations representing Islamist-Palestinian students at Israeli universities. Um, uh, sorry, until 2015, there were two students associations. So basically, since the split, they also split the organizations on the grassroots levels. And of course, these organizations compete over both supporters and funding. Uh, when I then, for example, interviewed the, ins- uh, the students who are uh, activists or supporters uh, of the Islamist organi- uh, student organization, they expressed a lot of frustration of the split. Uh, and, they ex- and it seems that the split has caused a lot of turmoil among the supporters and in the movement who are not in favor of the split and consider it, in fact, a hindrance for their common goal and practical work to improve The situation uh, for either Palestinian students in particular or in general for Palestinian citizens as a whole. There has been talk of reunion over the years but nothing has materialized as such, yet the leaders of the two branches display great respect for each other and definitely support each other as well, such as I mentioned uh, earlier when I attended uh, the rally in uh, Umm al-Fahm when Sheikh Raed Salah came out of prison, then the leaders of the Southern branch were there to welcome him and and give, show him support. So if they are sort of, you know, when it comes to them versus the state, they, they stand shoulder to shoulder. And in fact, this is common behavior of all Palestinian representatives in Israel, in my experience, that they all consider themselves to share the same predicament as Palestinian citizens in Israel and support each other uh, and, and provide each other with support when it, it comes to them vis-a-vis the state.
2: Let me ask a question uh, a little bit about the organizations of both factions. Can you just give us a sense uh, about the leaders? Who are they? And also you already mentioned that they support each other. So how do they communicate with each other?
1: So you mean how do the leaders of the two branches communicate with each other?
2: Yes, exactly. I, I mean, is there open channels? Uh, do they use uh, middlemen's or like you know they they re- literally try to cooperate also on uh, various uh, you know situations that may arise?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and actually, kind of links to our what we did, like uh, mentioning earlier about uh, local politics. So it's 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 not at all like there's one town and this is all the southern branch, and another town is all the northern branch. I mean, people live so you know where, wherever Palestinians live, there will be some supporters of the northern, some supporters of the southern. Generally, one place would have maybe more supporters of, of one branch, but it's also it's a, it's um, I mean, these movements are, are difficult to kind of uh, grasp uh, in terms of uh, hands on in that they don't, for example, have membership, right, organizations, So you don't have a list of how many members do you have and which which of the two branches have more members. There was never any membership statistics that that anyone can share everyone regardless of whether you would vote for them or not vote for them or regardless of whether you consider yourself even Islamist or not can use their associations or organizations or the services that they provide and having said that also also so also Christian Palestinians or you know non non, uh, relig- non religious uh, Muslim Palestinians so it's 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 not it's not at all like a black and white or a sort of you know a uh, very stark contrastful picture um and for example when it comes to local elections you know you have people who are they vote because people are either from a certain clan or a large family or you know you don't necessarily always vote for political ideology so uh, all of this to kind of explain that it's very fluid and it's not at all uh sort of set in stone and So the leaders, of course, on the leadership level, they don't they didn't sort of, you know, casually meet uh, very often when it comes to sort of having discussions about whether they should unite or not. In fact, when I was in Israel in 2010, there was the flotilla uh, from Turkey to Gaza, to the Gaza Strip, and both the leader of the southern branch and the leader of the northern branch were on the boat. And during uh, Israeli army's raid of those boats, there was a rumor that Shahrad Salah was shot and dead, uh, and it was a very tense situation in the Palestinian community as well as a lot of police and army were uh, sent to the areas around where uh, Umm al-Fahm, where Shahed has his uh, home and offices. Uh, in the end, it turned out it wasn't him who was shot. It was a, a Turkish uh, activist who looked like him. Anyway, after this, they were taken to um, the court in Berseba where they were uh, you know, put to trial and they were given house arrest for their involvement in the flotilla. And they are then on their way home to the, uh, uh, to the house arrest, they then because they were already physically together had a, one of the most successful sort of union meetings uh, that they you know took that kind of chance uh, opportunity i suppose to uh, sit and talk about a reunification it still didn't happen but uh, so I guess it shows that, you know, I think they didn't meet very or don't meet very often on a high level, except for in cases of uh, protest, for example, on land day demonstrations or uh, when they go to pray at Al-Aqsa. Um, but generally, it, it's not like, you know, people from the southern movement and the northern movement on, on a slightly lower level. Uh, uh, Activist level don't speak together, or you know, they 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 go to the same universities, they live in the same towns and cities.
2: I'm curious about something that not necessarily you uh, discuss in the book. Even though I want to say that in the book it's very clear that uh, you know the fact that there's no membership and it's quite unclear who's supporting who. Uh, you know, is not geographically divided the movement, even though we call it northern and southern branch. And I was wondering to what extent uh, uh, the Israeli Jewish public uh, knows about uh, the movement and how they understand it, in in a sense. Uh, Are they afraid of the movement? Uh, Do they know uh, the goals of the movement, which we will discuss later? uh, Or they just follow the propaganda that may be issued by the various political parties in Israel?
1: Yes, uh, good question. So first of all, yeah, I think we have to sort of go back to the, you know, this point about the context. So, um, I mean, Palestinian citizens uh, in general, uh, Israeli uh, Jewish citizens do not know many or much about Palestinian citizens and their, their actual predicament. Uh, so Palestinian citizens have been described, uh, you know, in both academic and, and uh, other by other organizations uh, for years as second class citizens uh, and as citizens who enjoy many but not full or similar rights as Jewish citizens. So there's a great divide between these two groups uh, of Israeli citizens. Um, and according to most organizations such as Adala or B'Tselem or Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International, these divisions are increasing, uh, not decreasing. And in addition, Palestinian citizens are viewed with a certain suspicion as potential enemies or, or, or friends of Israel's enemies. So practically inside israel jews and palestinians they live separate lives they live in separate communities their children go to separate schools uh, there is one state school for arabs and one for jews most jews do not speak or read arabic so they cannot follow you know whatever goes on in the arabic media or cultural events so just to say that generally israeli citizens jewish israeli citizens know very little about palestinian citizens per se not just about the islamic movement and what they do know, obviously, is from Israeli media, which, as I spoke, you know, a bit about already, that they paint a picture of these very two sort of radically different branches, uh, but in general also are very skeptical, to um, if not outright negative, towards uh, the Islamists in general. And as as you as you rightly sort of ask, I think in many. Uh, uninformed people, not just in Israel, but worldwide are scared of Islamism and Islamists and Islamic groups uh, based on a mixture of lack of knowledge and and knowledge of the, you know, actual movements and what they do and who they are, but also, of course, based on terrorist action undertaken by some groups in the name of many. So, you know, I think that that's uh, definitely is important. Um so to illustrate you know, today in the newspapers, when there are discussions uh, between between group uh, political parties, uh, if they should join a coalition with the Southern branch uh, or the party that represents the Southern branch in the parliament or not, uh, there is also a lot of outcry uh, these days by Netanyahu and other politicians who declared their rejection of, of, of such a partnership Uh, And saying that this, uh, you know, that they cannot be uh, partnering with our enemies and they will destroy the state. uh, And this would sort of tarnish the national honor and these kind of very strong worded rejections of the idea of a partnership with the uh, Islamic Movement's uh, United Arab List. Uh, Even though these are people who, you know, are in the parliament already, are Israeli. Uh, citizens uh, and are you know uh, at the moment in the coal- in the government coalition. Um, when uh, I was at uh, Haifa University in 2008, uh, I was there doing the elections to the Arab student committee, which is the sort of of uh, unofficial, a student, commit, a student uh, body that represent different political parties among Palestinian students. And um, they had elections. And surprisingly to both the Islamists and the other political parties represented, the Islamists won the, uh, the, the student elections. And where this, they were surprised and excited and, and the others, other political parties were, you know, surprised and disappointed, of course, the Jewish uh, students expressed, you know, fear, like, we do, who are these guys? Like, why? what, what does it mean? Uh, what, what? Who are the, you know, that they didn't, they were not at all sort of excited or prepared or... Um, Uh, In in any degree, sort of happy about this development, Uh, even though it's an open election at the university. uh, There were, you know, uh, they had party programs, political uh, programs, uh, and you know, it all happened within the the sort of formal framework of their university. So I definitely uh, think that there's a huge gap between the, major, uh, the majority of Jewish Israelis uh, and the Islamic movement.
2: Very interesting. Um, I want to ask you something about Chapter 3 of the book, which I believe is a, sort of the central one in order to understand the movement. And I really love the title of the chapter, A Trifecta of Goals. And I was wondering if you can just give us a, a flavor of uh, the goals of Islamic movement in Israel.
1: Great, right. thank you. Um, yes, so it again goes back to the context that, you know, Palestinians, uh, the, the focus is really on a protection. So the three goals are to protect the, the people, the land and the holy sites. So let's start uh, maybe with the holy sites. Um, the main focus is on the Al-Aqsa Mosque and compound uh, in the old city in occupied East Jerusalem. So this mosque, of course, is the third holiest site in Islam and by acting as its guardians, the Islamic movement in Israel uh, is also positioning itself, uh, you could say, at uh, one of the religious centers of not just the Muslim but also the Christian and and Jewish world. And so the movement is very active in the upkeeping of the mosque and its leaders and followers express uh, fear that this holy site is under threats, Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the about the Al-Aqsa is in danger festival that they arrange. So the threat, they they see the threat as coming from Israeli right-wing settler groups, right-wing Israeli politicians and the Israeli military. Uh, And and so in addition, um, the protection or, and what they, you know, the upkeeping and the protection of the mosque is combined with the protection of the Palestinian people of occupied East Jerusalem. So uh, the Palestinians in East Jerusalem are under increasing economic pressure as they are mostly uh, cut off from the rest of the Palestinians in the West Bank due to the separation wall and the checkpoint system. And so to improve their financial situation, the Islamic movement in Israel encourages its supporters from inside Israel to go shopping, use the restaurants and, you know, just basically spend money in East Jerusalem to provide income for this group. Uh, And I think I can see this as an indication that the goal to protect the Palestinian people focuses both on Palestinians inside Israel, as well as Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territory. Uh, And I mentioned also earlier how they assist uh, with these charitable campaigns and so on that when we talked about and discussed about Hamas. Uh, As I also have, I think, mentioned inside Israel, the movement focuses on practically improving the services that are not provided uh, satisfactorily by the state on a local level, through its local councils, uh, as well as through its movement's uh, independent organizations. And in addition, uh, the movement's leaders spoke a lot when I interviewed them about the physical insecurity of Palestinian citizens so there has been an increasing uh, they have increasingly experienced hate crimes since uh, um, palestinian citizens 13 palestinian citizens were killed by israeli police at the start of the second intifada in october 2000 and Shahrad Salah and other spokespersons speak about uh the population transfer as advocated by right-wing israeli politicians such as uh abrigo liberman uh as a way to sort of deal with the idea of you know how to uh lessen the the so-called demographic threat posed by by the palestinian citizens so uh they talk about sort of both helping palestinians in terms of their daily lives as well as uh how to protect them from what they see as increasing uh security threats towards them uh the third goal is to protect the palestinian land this is of course at the sort of comf- core of the conflict uh, between Palestinians and the Jewish state, um, and it has been a main focus for the Islamic movement since uh, its very beginning. Uh, and I uh, did an interview with uh, Father Shahade Shahade, who, a uh, Christian Palestinian uh, priest, who described to me how the very young uh, leaders of what was then the sort of early start of the Islamic movement were part of organizing the very first land day demonstrations in 1976 uh, against Israeli land uh, confiscations. So today the main focus is in terms of land on protecting the land of the Palestinian people in the Negev Naqab that the state uh, is in the process uh, of appropriating.
2: That leads me to the, to the next question, which is uh, related to sort of um, what the Israeli government is trying to do to uh, Palestinian society in Israel. So between 1948 and later after 1967, essentially non-Israeli Jews underwent, uh, I would say, a process of Israelization. Some also call it Judaization, but that's uh, relevant to, to sort of another context. And uh, we may say that uh, so Palestinians uh, citizens of Israel also underwent a process of de-arabization of society. And that is particularly visible with the question of the language. And I was wondering if you can tell us uh, how the movement has reacted to uh, these processes and how both organizations so the northern and the southern branches. Try to reverse these processes.
1: Yes, very good question. Uh, one of my chapters focuses indeed on you know the how this the, the movement at large uh, sort of uh, tries to deal with with Israelization, which has kind of two you know Israelization has kind of two main uh, forces. One is the kind of imposed one from the government with the Ministry of Education deciding the curriculum, deciding who gets to teach in uh, Arab schools um, and, and with whatever it's imposed on them. But of course, the other side of Israelization is simply by living inside Israeli uh, society. Of course, uh, the Palestinians who live there are affected by whatever lifestyle or um, experiences they have uh, in Israeli society. So, uh what i what i am, when I analyze the activism uh, of both branches of the movement on a local on a local level, they I describe them as kind of engaging in three processes in order to combat this israelization which you know they which is what they want to do. Uh, one so they have of course the islamization which we've talked about uh, but in addition they have the Palestinization and also the arabization. And so they do this uh, by educating their constituency in Palestinian history, as well as in you know coming giving them information about what is actually your current predicament as Palestinian citizen. And they try to empower their um, their constituency by by knowledge and I would say, ceremony. Um, so it's important to say that after high school, uh, you know, all the indis- all the high, uh, higher educational institutions in Israel are in Hebrew, as well as most worksplaces, uh, and of course, the majority Israeli Jewish society. So, for example, when it comes to uh, Arabization, the Islamic movement provides pure language classes, but it also tries to be engaging and kind of fun. So they would have uh, Arabic music classes or events. They do poetry competition. They even do rap competition. They really try to engage uh, the youth in, in learning and continuing to learn formal Arabic because they see that you know this is slipping the older they get. And especially if they start studying in Israeli um, higher education institutions. Um, so um, I think it, I mean, one of the things I describe uh, in this chapter is when I attended a graduation ceremony for uh, the Southern Branches School of Excellence, they call it, in Kufir So this is where they give uh, all of these kind of lessons either to help students do better in school or extracurricular activities to enrich the lives of, of, of these students. And so at this ceremony, um, uh, you come in and there's a hall and uh, on the stage were all these kids who are performing Quranic recitations. And of course, you know, receiving enthusiastic enthusiastic response from their families, neighbors, friends, teachers, etc. Uh, And the hall was decorated with nationalistic Palestinian symbols. So you have the Palestinian flag on the entire wall and uh, the sort of uh, uh, kafir patterned ornamentations uh, on the stage. Um, And this ceremony took place in the local museum that commemorates the 1956 massacre in which 48 villages were killed by Israeli security forces after returning from work in the fields after a curfew that they had not been informed about had been imposed. So you can see here the sort of combination of both the sort of the Islamic and the Arabic, the Palestinian, and then also the history. So this museum, I would describe it's very small, very unpretentious. It displays a lot of photographs of the victims of of this massacre, documents in both Hebrew and Arabic to explain what had happened, about the resultant investigations, the trial. There's also some artistic works that are inspired by by this tragedy. So all in all, uh, throughout many different uh, types of both organizations and methods, they try to imbue and strengthen the Arab-Palestinian, as well as the uh, Muslim identity uh, among its population.
2: At the very beginning of the interview, you mentioned women. And I want to ask about the role of women uh, in both organizations, because one thing that is clear from the book is that there are differences between the northern and the southern branches. And I also wanted to ask you about the relationship are the two branches with the non-Muslim Palestinians, which are mostly Christians, but also the Druze.
1: Yes, Uh, good. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, There are differences uh, in practices. Um, So both uh, movements, both branches, the Southern and the Northern have organization that uh, promotes uh, activities uh, and engages for for and with women. Um, And, uh, when I spoke to the leader of one of the southern branches uh, organization for women, uh, they, she was very clear in that one of the things that they try to do is to educate the woman, so to p- empower the woman about, uh, to, to have knowledge of her position as a Muslim woman. Uh, So that she, if she is exposed to wrongdoing by anyone and particularly uh, men uh, in the name of Islam, that she could argue back. Uh, So, for example, what they talked about was the cases of domestic violence and also the fact of uh, men taking more than one wife. And they would sort of say, we can interpret these sources and help you not just argue with them uh, on on a private level, but but sort of using uh, Islam in in your argumentation. Um, What I found with both, uh, with with all the women almost that, not all, but many women that I spoke to was that they were often the forerunners kind of of their families to engage with Islam and become uh, Islamist. Uh, And it was often the women who was kind of the driving force to become more conservative uh, in their um, family lives and and to embrace uh, a sort of modern, uh, more modern and political version of Islam, which I found uh, very interesting. Uh, Yet, um, they still have and also express preferring a sort of backseat in terms of political positions uh, so, for example, when I was interviewing Islamist female Islamist ch- students um, about their activities, uh, it transpired that the Islamist student organization uh, cl- uh, could not participate in events, joint events, with the nationalist secular student organizations uh, because they were not able to uh, agree. Uh, on how to or not to have women speak at these events. So the Islamist organization did want women to attend the events in a sort of proper manner, but they didn't want women on the stage in these events. And so other students were very frustrated and would say, you know, that we're now not able to have events about our common experience as Palestinian citizens because of these gender politics. So, clearly, there was a a strong divide there. Um, Now, and and we see, you know, uh, in terms of formal positions, there are few, uh, very few uh, women in the Northern branch. There are more women in the Southern branch, and mostly they have been appointed or uh, invited to these positions rather than elected, but that might also be... So, I see that as the Southern branch actively seeking out and wanting women to, to be also representatives in its movement. Uh, most notably, they have Iman Khatib Yassin, who is a representative in the Knesset uh, for the United Arab List. She's the first member of Knesset to wear the hijab. She gives interviews to Israeli and other newspaper, and she's a very sort of publicly active politician. And I, I think also we have to take one step back and remember that this is happening in the context where You know, generally women have not been promoted to political positions among this Palestinian community at large. So, for example, Hanin Suabi was the first female representative of any Palestinian political party to be elected to the Knesset in 2009. And she represents the secular national democratic alliance. So just to kind of, you know, remind ourselves that maybe this is not just indicative of the Islamic movement, but of this community uh, at large. Uh, But certainly uh, the, the issue of gender politics and women's status is one of the main sticking points between the Islamic movement, both branches, and secular Muslim Palestinians and Christian Palestinians that I have interviewed. I did not do any interviews with any formal representatives of the Druze community, so I cannot speak to that. But uh, I did do interviews with both Christian politicians and community leaders um, and people who are, you know, do not in any way associate themselves with the Palestinian community, uh, with the Muslim, with the Islamic movement um, or the Islamist community. Um, And the main kind of issues of disagreement are on what we can call social and family relations. Uh, so, for example, it was quite notable that or and it's it generally is quite notable that the Islamic movement, United Arab list of the southern branch will join forces with the uh, ultra-orthodox Jewish parties when it comes to issues such as uh, LGBTQ rights, uh, for example, to, to you know, then they join with the very conservative, uh, very religious Jewish politicians instead of joining uh, with their national Palestinian or Christian Palestinian politicians. So the uh, they, you know, uh, Palestinians politicians or also uh, NGOs uh, would generally stand shoulder to shoulder with the Islamic movement when it comes to sort of core rights as Palestinian citizens. But when it comes to how to organize the society, and uh, women's position within that society, they, they very much differ.
2: Let's talk about politics as we reach the end of our conversation. So, as I mentioned at the very beginning, Israel will go to the polls the fifth time since uh, 2019, in just a few months. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about what is the joint list and how does uh, the southern branch, given the northern branch is not active in national politics, relates to it?
1: yes good um the joint list is very interesting it is a list uh, so parliamentary list that is a combination of all of the parties that represent arab palestinians in the israeli parliament under one umbrella so in basically it includes many ideological currents and it is unified only by the centralizing force of the ethnic minority identity and status of palestinian citizens it was Uh, established in 2015. And it has a sort of interesting uh, history because it was established because they uh, increased the threshold for small parties to enter uh, the Israeli parliament. And this was initiated by Abigail Lieberman, a politician who is very uh, anti-Palestinian and who in fact uh, publicly Uh, what said that he was doing this in order or suggesting this that, you know, uh, was voted through in order to uh, try to avoid Palestinians or uh, try to deter Palestinian parties from uh, entering the Knesset. So the pressure from outside kind of joined the Palestinians together. Now, what I find even more interesting is that for the southern branch of the Islamic movement, this was not a new idea. In fact, it was an idea that their, uh, their first leader, Shah Abdallah Emir Darwish had talked about many times. And he, in fact, at the beginning uh, in the 1990s, when the movement was discussing whether or not to enter national politics, said he would favor entering national politics if they did so on one list with all the parties representing Palestinian citizens of Israel together. Uh, this is particularly interesting if we consider this, what happened later. But so before I uh, get ahead of myself, um, this joint list then was very successful in 2015 uh, when it got 13 out of 120 seats uh, and in 2000, um, also in 2019. And then in the 2020 elections, uh, this list got 15 seats, making it the third largest list in the parliament. Uh, which is impressive for this minority. Now, despite this success, uh, there were internal grievances, uh, meaning there were con- competition between the parties over which who should get what position uh, within, in of representation. Um, there was also disagreements that is related to what we just talked about in terms of politics, uh, social and gender politics. And despite its success, in February last year, the Southern Branch split from this list under the new leadership of Mansour Abbas. Um, and I mean, considering that it was Abbas, the the the, um, the person who the founder of the Southern Branch and of the Islamic movement in general, who at the start had favored uh, such a joint list, it is interesting that it is the Southern branches, uh, political party that leaves this list first. So definitely a huge difference uh, of understanding of uh, of how to act on the national stage. Now, even more interesting is that Abbas had made close contact with uh, the right-wing Likud politician Benjamin Netanyahu in 2020, and in 2021, the Southern branch surprisingly joined the coalition formed by the right wing politicians, Gantz and Lapid. They didn't get a ministerial position according to Abbas In one interview he said he didn't want one. It would be too embarrassing to walk around with the security attache that this would require. Um, uh, so how he explains this um, leaving the joint list and uh, joining the coalition with right-wing Israeli politician, Abbas said that his reasoning is that he wants to give Palestinian citizens actual political influence. And that by being in the position that he is, um, I suppose today, the Southern branch is is the new kingmaker in Israeli politics, and not just an ignored oppositional party. Uh, So he argues that he wants to use this new position to secure funding for this constituency and to improve governmental services for his community, such as uh, when it comes to planning and housing, uh, when it comes to resources, to fight uh, the violence and organized crime uh, in his community. So it seems to me that for Abbas, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's the so-called left wing or right wing. I mean, an Israeli politician is an Israeli politician, and he is ready to cooperate with anyone as long as they agree to his
2: terms and conditions. I have one last question. Looking ahead at the upcoming elections, do you want to make some predictions about uh, the results? How do you think the uh, movement uh, will uh, perform?
1: Uh, well, obviously, as an academic, I am skeptical <laughs> making predictions. But um, uh, in the current uh, polls that I read about in the newspapers, uh, Ram, the United Arab List seems to be losing a seat or maybe even two, uh, this can quickly change uh, and it obviously also depends very much on which of the Jewish parties, whether it's Netanyahu or Lapid, who will end up uh, getting more support because who will then potentially approach the United Arab List uh, how. Um, so this will, you know, it was, it's it is to be seen if Mansour Abbas again will be the so-called kingmaker. It also depends how many Palestinians will vote. I mean, it it is interesting that Abbas was re-elected as a party's leader very shortly, uh, shortly shortly ago. So this proves that certainly his approach must be popular among his own constituency, even if he is considered controversial. Um, I think. Probably the only thing we can say with complete certainty is that it is super interesting that Israel's Islamists are at the center of its political stage, literally and also sort of, you know, ideologically, uh, in terms of, you know, how they want to influence uh, their own situation. And um, I think, yeah, we just have to wait and see what happens.
2: This was uh, Tilde Rosmer, who is currently an assistant professor in the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Zayed University in the United Arab Emirates. And she's the author of The Islamic Movement in Israel, published by the University of Texas Press in 2022. Tilde, thank you so much for this amazing conversation.
1: Thank you so much, Robert. We very much enjoyed it.